remain standing. Our scripture reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated. Before I begin, I want to thank our Circle 5 ladies for coordinating and hosting the missions, uh, I don't know what we called it, the missions tea yesterday. Sounds like it was a great turnout and there's a great pile of, uh, of snack goods and other items for the campus ministry down at, at Eastern New Mexico University. Um, I know that the students there, uh, there's many that depend on our donations of snack goods and other items that help them get through the week in terms of eating. And so uh, it's a neat ministry that Elizabeth Kirkwood, the director down there, has coordinated is just having this, this bistro area for them to come. And there's ramen and other microwavable items and stuff for them to eat, coffee and other things uh, while they study. And so it's just a neat outreach. And, and I thought it was just how neat for us to be a part of that. It's good to be here with you all this morning as uh, we are going through the season of Lent. Uh, during this season, we are following Jesus as he set his face towards Jerusalem, as we read in the Gospel of Luke chapter 9. Jesus knows that from this point on, in Luke 9, 52, that uh, from this point on, everything that he is doing, everything that he is saying, everything that he is uh, performing, everything is setting up for what is to happen in the city of Jerusalem a short time later. And so I think it's helpful for us to know and for, helpful for us to follow this uh, vision or this uh, journey of Jesus that he knows will end with the cross. Although the disciples, as we read, did not know what it was going to end with. And when he told them that it was going to end with the cross, what did they say to him? They told him he was wrong. But each week in this season of Lent, we're looking at, at how the cross of Jesus guides us to find and to receive different things from God. On Ash Wednesday, we talked about forgiveness, and we have talked about hope last week. We'll look at, at love and peace and trust and perseverance, humility, service, and sacrifice. And so on Ash Wednesday, we talked about how it was at the cross of Jesus that we received forgiveness. As we hear his words, as we read his words, where he is hanging on the cross next to two other criminals, and while one of them admonishes him and, and goads him and chastises him, the other one recognizes who Jesus is and has a simple plea that Jesus would just remember him, and Jesus does. So it is even there that Jesus offers us forgiveness. Jesus also offered forgiveness to those who had placed him on the cross, the Roman soldiers that had hammered the nails, the uh, Jewish authorities that had coordinated and, and sent him to Pilate. Jesus offers forgiveness to all, even when we don't know what we've done. It's there for us to receive it. And then last Sunday, we talked about how the cross of Jesus guides us to hope. As we read his words and as we witnessed his interaction with the two criminals, as the one criminal saw hope in him, in the way he carried himself on the cross, in the way that he was placed on the cross, he realized that it was in Jesus that he could receive hope, and that's what he placed in his hope in, even as he hung there. And Jesus promised him that he would see him in the kingdom of God. 
But so today we're going to be thinking about and talking about how the cross of Jesus guides us to love. For the cross of Jesus is the greatest symbol of love that you and I can ever see. I want to begin this morning by inviting you to think of the ways that you hear or use yourself the word love in a normal day. I'm not going to get a whiteboard out because I think we could spend a lot of time writing out how and, and why we hear the word love said throughout the day. Especially when we think about how often we might hear someone express how much they love something. Maybe it's a book or an author. Maybe it's a movie that we love. Maybe it's a musician or a style of music. Maybe it's a type of food, whether it's Mexican or Italian or, or some other food type. Maybe it's one of those. Or maybe we can think about a trip that we've been on where we went to a place and we loved being there. We would love to go back. I also got to thinking there's times when uh, we hear how someone didn't love something. I tried it, but I didn't love it, so I'm not going to eat it again. I didn't love going to that restaurant, so we're not going back there. I didn't love visiting this place, so I'm not going to make a plan to ever go back to that place. You get what I'm saying? When we use the word love, we are often expressing our affection for something where our emotion for that something may really not be love at all if you think about what love really is and if you think about the depth of love that God has offered us through His Son, Jesus Christ. We still use the word, but maybe we use it more as a descriptive word rather than, than really trying to convey the depth of emotion that we have for something. I may love Mexican food, I do, but if I couldn't eat it ever again, I'd probably survive. I'm not emotionally tied to it. Well, too much. <laughs> Confession, okay. So today we're going to think about how the cross of Jesus guides us to love. And my hope is that what we will do when we think of the word love and the cross, we will see that it's more than a descriptive word. And we will see that it is an action for something that it's expressed to us in a far deeper way than you and I can ever imagine. And what I mean by this is to say that you and I, no matter how many words we use or how many times we try to describe it, we can never adequately express the words of the love of Jesus and the sacrificial gift of Jesus by God on the cross. We can just never put words to that. We can try to do that, and we're going to. But I think at the same time as we try to put words in it, we have to realize that the expanse of love of God is far more than you and I can ever think of, that we can ever put to words, that we can ever explain, that we can ever convey in art, that we can ever use. Because it's that good, it's that great, it's that sacrificial gift that God has given us through His Son, Jesus Christ, and it's expressed to us at the cross. So in our brokenness and in our sinfulness, we attempt to fill the void in our lives that can only be filled with the love of Christ. With other things, with other people, with other experiences, so many of our attempts are short-lived. It's like the song, and I forget who said, looking for love in all the wrong places. Is that Tammy Wynette? Who? Thank you. Okay, Johnny Lee. Is that you, Scott? All right. But you get what I'm saying is the song says it right because we seek fulfillment in things that are not good for us or can harm us in the long term or in the short term give us a short term buzz or a short term fix but really at the end, there's no end game in that. 
especially when it comes to relationship, especially when it comes to living our life to the fullest that God has given us, especially when it comes to living into the potential that God has placed on you as a child of His. Right? Because it takes us discovering and claiming that God fulfills every need that we have to stop from going to look at it everywhere else. Now, I think biblically we can read about how the word love is used. Often in the Old Testament, it's used in terms of the covenant of marriage between uh, a man and a woman. And, and in Genesis 2, we read how a man and woman leave their families and they create a new family and they become one. Later in the Old Testament, we read in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, verse 12. I only have the second part of it up here, but it says, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And then a cord of three strands cannot quickly, is not quickly broken. Well, the cord metaphor is often used in a marriage ceremony to emphasize that a marriage that is built on Christ at its center is stronger. This passage of Scripture is part of a larger teaching to tell us and distress how important it is for us to have others to share life with, to share burdens with, and in the marriage example of how we are to ground everything that we do and the way that we relate to one another on the love of Christ and the love given us by God. I think the New Testament also carries on this same thread on love that we read about in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, in the contemporary church, I think we do well in trying to describe the love of Christ as it's offered to us on the cross. But I think in some ways we fall short of trying to describe or we fall short in not being as effective in using the language of the New Testament to describe God's love for us. The early church fathers often used this language as well as descriptors to describe the love of God that we find at the cross of Jesus. And the language that they use is the language of the bridegroom and the bride of Christ. We find it in the parables of Jesus as he talks about it. We find it in the book of Revelation as John talks about the triumphant return of Christ and how the church will be lifted up. But I think we don't do well in describing that. And I don't know why we don't. I've never preached a sermon in 20 years of mar uh, marriage. Huh. It's more than 20 years of marriage. Um, but I've never preached a sermon in 20 years of ministry on what the scriptures tell us about the language of what it means for us to be the bride of Christ as the church and Jesus as the groom. I don't know why. I don't even know if I ever want to because I've never, I, I mean, I'm going to have to go do some serious research for that. Um, but what I'm saying is I don't think we effectively convey in some ways the historic and the biblical language of the New Testament when it talks to us about love. Jesus in Matthew 25 tells us parable of a wedding and about how the, uh, the bridesmaids are waiting for the bridegroom to arrive. You know, he talks about how there are ten bridesmaids and five of them have oil in their lamps. Five of them have an extra reserve of oil that they have brought the other five have come unprepared, and so when the bridegroom arrives, they're not ready. And he tells that parable as a way for us to think about how we are to be prepared to receive in full measure the love that he offers us. But then later in the New Testament, it tells us how uh, the bridegroom coming is Christ, who's given all of us, who's given his all for each of us, for the church, which is his bride. And I think what we're supposed to see in this language, or what we can see in this language, is that he loves his, uh, himself so much for us that he gives himself for us. 
And that's the depth of love that we receive from God. You know, in Romans, you can read about how Paul writes about what he understands the love of Christ to be as it's expressed to us at the cross. In Romans 5, verses 7 and 8, Paul writes, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us when we did not deserve it. He died for us out of his unconditional love for us. He died for us without our having realized that we need to repent or without having recognized that we have shortcomings. Jesus died for us and in his death, he provides us an opportunity for life and for relationship and for everything else. In our scripture this morning, I think it gives us that same example. In the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verses 25 through 27, Jesus is hanging on the cross. And he says, in the, John writes, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, Mary, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Think about that for a minute. Of all the things Jesus could have said or Jesus could have dealt with as he hung on the cross, what did he focus on? On love. He uses his time, he uses his energy to define the new relationship that he wants his mother Mary to have to be cared for by the, the disciple John. He could have spoken about so many other things, or maybe not spoken at all, considering how hard it probably was for him to speak as he hung there, as he gasped for breath, you know, but he used his energy, he used his time to redefine how Mary and John were to relate to one another. And he did this to care for Mary, but he also did this so that we would see, so that they would see that their shared love of Jesus and his love for them would redefine how they were to interact and they were to live. John was to take Mary into his home and care for her as if she was his mother. Mary was to enter the home of John and she was to love him in the same way that she would have loved her own child. Jesus' love was creating a new family. And Jesus' love does create a new family. A family that does not join us by biology, but a family that is created for and by and through the everlasting love that he has for us. Friends, this is the family that you've been, you've been invited, you've been welcomed to by Jesus on the cross. It's a family that is not bound by blood. I mean, it's bound by his blood. But more importantly, it's bound by the love that he has for each of us. A love that it is given to us but we're invited to accept it. We're expected to leave our past. We're expected to leave our shortcomings and our sins. And we're expected to pursue a greater life and a greater relationship with Him. That's love. And as the Christian community, we're to be known for that love. For the ways that we choose to respond differently because of the love that we've been shown. Jesus went, even went as far to tell us that we are to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. He tells this not 
to us because it helps our enemies or those who persecute us. But He tells it to us because of us. Because if you are praying for someone who persecutes you, my guess is they're never going to find that out. They're never going to know that you're praying for them. They're never going to know that what you're doing uh, uh, before God on their behalf. But I'll tell you what you are going to know is you're going to know and you're going to see them differently and God is going to work. Because Jesus tells us to pray for those who persecute us, not because of them, but because of what he knows it can do for us. We cannot love if we're stuck dwelling on, on something or someone else. We cannot forgive if we're experiencing anxiety over things that we have no control over. And so Jesus shows us the way. As he forgave his, his, the Roman soldiers, as he forgave the disciples for abandoning him in his final hours, as he forgave Malchus, the high priest's servant, who had his ear cut off in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he forgave the soldiers who mocked him and, and who stripped him before his journey to Golgotha, Jesus knew that it was sin that caused others to act out against him. And it was through his love that he was able to forgive them. On the day of crucifixion, the order came down. If you read in John's Gospel at the end, to, to break the legs of the men who were crucified to speed and ensure their death. When the soldiers saw that Jesus had already passed, they pierced His side, and the Gospels tell us that blood and water poured out. Which throughout the history of the church, we've said that that is the love and the forgiveness of God that pours out from the cross onto all of us to wash away our sins. Because if there's anything that we should take from today is that the cross guides us to the love of Jesus Christ. I think there's a reason that if most of us were asked what one of our favorite Bible verses is, or to recite a Bible verse that maybe you, you remember, a lot of people would know John 3.16, wouldn't they? Because it's at the very center of Jesus' ministry. It's at the very center of Jesus' life. It's at the very center of the purpose for Jesus coming to demonstrate and to offer us the love that God has for you. That's why we sing love came down at Christmas. It's why we sing that love died on the cross. And it's why Jesus invites us to love him and to return our love back to Him. And so we do that through our worship, when we sing praises to Him, when we serve together, when we help others, or when we just take the time to bless someone else or just spend a word in prayer. We are partners in sharing the love of Christ with others as we receive it and as we share it. Friends, when you look to the cross, we are to be guided to the love of Jesus. For it's at the cross that we see the greatest example of love in all of history. And it's a love that's given to you. And it's a love that's given to me. Thanks be to God.